got a couple praises. Um, the first one is that um, uh, we uh, we got involved in this outreach thing, um, this big invite, and we did it through the uh, the George Baptist Mission Board, and they have contracted with a a, um, a group called Outreach dot com. And so they're the ones that did the 5,000 mail-outs for us. They mailed out 5,000 cards for Lion Creek Baptist Church. I got an email today from Outreach.com. This is a business. They have set aside a room in their business this week. They have been praying over these cards all week long. There's been somebody praying over these cards uh, <laughs> That just thrill my soul. And uh, so they're praying for everybody that, that those cards touch, praying for Lion Creek. And uh, so I wanted to share that with you. My second praise is uh, I'm glad to be here tonight. I am so glad that God spared my life. I fell yesterday off of a ladder. Uh, it slipped off a wall. And uh, uh, I actually was able to hold on to the windowsill and hang off the house while the ladder fell down the, down, down the embankment, actually it's a retaining wall, and I was able to, uh, I guess adrenaline, I was able to hang on that window and then push off and, and jump to the ground. And uh, if I had fallen on the concrete, I wouldn't be here tonight. And uh, so I praise the Lord for his mercy. And I couldn't quit crying. After, after it happened, I couldn't quit crying. And, uh, and my, by the way, my shoulder is killing me, but uh, I, I couldn't quit crying. And I, I called Sandra. I said, something's wrong with me. I can't quit crying. And so uh, Andy came over later, and we were talking about it. And he said, well, you might be crying because you're just praising the Lord. You didn't die. <laughs> so, and he said, and Andy told me this is so funny. He said, David, I have never seen you cry as much as you have since you've been at Lion Creek. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad, but uh, I sure do praise the Lord that He spared my life, and uh, uh, I got I, I've already got the orders. Uh, Andy told me have yard sale, sell all my ladders, and uh, and Sandra told me that not going to happen again. All right. So I praise the Lord for being so good to us and sparing us. All right. Uh, we're in Colossians, Colossians chapter number one. We've been in there for a while, but uh, it's such a delicious chapter that uh, we can't help but uh, try to get everything out of it. Colossians is, of course, a book about the preeminence of Christ, how that he is the first of the first or the first of everything. He is the, the preeminent one. And Paul is writing this to get the people at Colossae to understand that nothing should ever supersede the Lord Jesus Christ. In our, in our lifetime, we will find a lot of things that will try to take the place of the Lord, a lot of things. Um, the message Sunday morning was about how the cross has impacted you, what it's done in your life. And uh, someone came to me after the sermon and said, Preacher, that, that's exactly the truth, that some some." So much of what we do in our Christian life after we get saved, we take for granted all the stuff that he's done for us. 
And it is amazing how we get over being saved. It's amazing how after you've been saved for a while, you just don't get the impact of the cross in your life. And so it's an amazing thing how we tend to play down the preeminence of Christ by substituting things in our life. You know, I, I remember the first time that uh, uh, I taught a Sunday school class. I got so involved in the Sunday school class and so involved in teaching it, I forgot about the Lord. It was the thrill of teaching the class. It was the thrill of learning the stuff. It was the thrill of um, you know, being involved in influencing people. And uh, listen, pastors have a tough time that we don't let the ministry take the place of the Lord. It's just a tough thing. What Paul is writing here is he's trying to get the church at Colossae to understand that there's going to be things that filter in your life, even some false teaching that's going to filter in your life on a consistent basis. And either you let the preeminence of Christ stay in your life or you will lose that emphasis and you will begin to fill your life up with with stuff that will not bring glory and honor. So that's what he's actually doing here. Now, there were some, some problems, and as we go through this, we'll probably talk more about these problems. But what he begins in chapter 1 is to teach us how that God has brought Christ into the forefront through several methods. The first one was the relationship. And the relationship, first of all, was with the creator the second one was with creation, and then the third one was with the church. In verse 20, he changes his emphasis just a little bit, and he talks about the relationship Christ has with our reconciliation. Now, that's an amazing thing. I cannot, for the life of me, understand how God can fellowship with me in the sense that he accepts me as his righteous son. The Bible tells me that I am, when I receive Christ, that I have the power of God, that he gives me the power to become the sons of God. The word power there means the authority to become the sons of God. Now, that means that when I trust Christ as my Savior, that's John chapter 1, verse number 12, that as many as received him, them gave you power to become the sons of God. He gave me the authority to become the Son of God. I'm the Son of God. Y'all didn't stand at attention. I'm the Son of God. You say, that's just, that's just, that's just a title. Uh-uh. I have the authority. I have the authority to be called and to act like and behave like the Son of God. Sanders all the time talking about identity. The truth is that I'm God's Son. I not only walk with the King, I not only have the Holy Spirit living in me, I am in full authority to be the Son of God. Don't mess with me. Who, who was it? The MC Hammer? Was that MC Hammer? Can't touch this? 
Hey, I want you to know something. You can't touch this. I am the Son of God. I have that authority. So how in the world did he make this happen? How is it that holy God... Now, y'all don't know me. You think you know me. And Brother Jimmy and I heard a message Sunday, Monday morning. Listen, I want you to know, I don't know if I've ever preached mean to y'all, but that old boy ripped a hide off of me. I'm telling you what... I, I never felt so low in my life. I felt like I needed to slide out of that church. It was bad. And he he's preaching. I'm not going to preach his message. It was tremendous. But I'm I'm thinking, and he even said it. He even said, preachers, you know, we, 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 our people think we're something. They think we're something. We're the man of God. He said, but we know the truth, don't we? <laughs> Listen, I want you to know, you don't know me. And when I tell you I'm mean, you better believe me, I'm mean. Compared to holy God, I'm mean as a snake. Compared to the holiness of God, I am in shambles. And yet he gives me that authority to be his child. Listen, you live with yourself. You know who you are, don't you? When you look in the mirror, what do you say? Oh, my goodness. Listen, when you deal with it now, old professor at school used to say, don't, don't, when you do introspection, when you dig around in there, don't hang around too long. It gets too morbid. <laughs> That's the truth. You start looking on the inside too much, and you're going to see how really bad you are. So what you need to do is understand who you are in Christ. How that happens is through the ministry of reconciliation. He begins by saying this in verse number 19. Now in him, all the fullness of Godhead dwelleth bodily. The idea here is that this is the source of our reconciliation. Now if you don't know what reconciliation means, just hang on, we're going to get to it. This is the source of our reconciliation. This is where we find the authority. What God is doing now is he's showing through Paul to this church that the way you have the position you have is the, the, the mechanics of what God has worked out. And he did it through a source of reconciliation. And that source is, of course, the Son of God. He said that in him all the fullness of the Godhead dwelleth bodily. So the first thing to know is that our reconciliation is not based on any kind of program. It's not based on any kind of um, um, criteria that we have. If, if I had to depend on my goodness to have a relationship with God, it would never happen. It just wouldn't. He said, well, preacher, don't you live right? Well, I try to live right, but I'm going to be honest with you. The Bible tells us that in Romans chapter 3 that we come short of what? The glory of God. All of us come short of the glory. In other words, we, none of us ever measure up to where we need to be that we could say to God, I'm as holy as you are, now let's have a relationship. 
So God says, you'll never be that way. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to work out a system that I can make you that position. And I'm going to use the only source I can use. And that is my son, who in my son, the fullness of God dwells bodily. Now, it's an amazing thing to me that what I have is not based on anything that you can come up with. What I have is not based on my works. It's not based on my character. It's not based on my intellect. It's not based on my personality. It's not based on the fact that I was born in North Carolina. It's based on one thing and one thing only, and that is on the deity of Jesus Christ. When I stand with any kind of credentials, when I stand with any kind of credentials, the only thing that I can stand with is the credentials that he has. (laughs) Do you ever drop names? Drop names. Preachers are bad about this. They'll say, you know brother so-and-so, you know brother so-and-so, you know Dr. So-and-so. I know Dr. Fuzzy Face and Dr. Doolittle. That's the only doctors I know. <laughs> they don't do much. The truth is, is that we have no credentials. And nobody has any credentials but him. When you want to ask me about my salvation, it's not about what I did or even how I accomplished it, it is about his credentials and what he did. Listen, I'm backed by the best. I don't know what your thing is. I don't know who. Some of y'all bank with uh, 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 SunTrust. And some of y'all bank with Fidelity. And some of y'all bank with Bank of America and all these. I am personally a United Community fella. And I trust them about as far as the door. I don't know what they do with my money. And you don't know what they do with your money. But I want you to know something because you don't know anything about their credentials. I don't know anything about anything. I know what you tell me. But I, I don't know if that's true. I know one thing. I know that I am backed. My salvation is backed by the fullness of God. I have nothing else. (laughs) I have nothing else. He is the source. Now, I want you to look at this. He says, in him the fullness of the the, the Godhead dwelleth bodily. The word dwelleth means to be permanently at home. And so that's the first thing is to know the fullness. The second thing that I want you to see is that verse 20 says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say rather, they, whether they be in things in earth or things in heaven. Now, what this means is that the word reconcile means to make peace. Now, what Jesus did when he came to earth was, uh, uh, Titus says that he is the mediator Between God and man, the man, what? Christ Jesus. He's the mediator. 
Someone came to me the other day and said, Preacher, I got a problem, and I don't know what to do because I am stuck in the middle between two of my friends. And I said, Are you going to get killed? I'm going to tell you what you need to do. And it was about money. I told this person, I said, you need to go find a financial planner that none of y'all know. You need to get that financial planner in the middle of this situation. And whatever that financial planner says, y'all all need to say, we're going to go with what you say. Because that financial planner becomes the mediator. It puts them together. God saw me as his enemy. From the moment that Adam sinned, man became God's enemy. He said, no, 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 no. Yes, he did, because God uses the word enmity. And so he says that man is now God's enemy, and he can't get back to God. The reason that God drove Adam out of the garden was that he would no longer have any fellowship with him except through the blood. So what Jesus did was he came to earth to be able to be the mediator between God and man. Now look what he did. What he did was he brought peace to the situation. How many of y'all married couples ever get in fights? Don't raise your hand. You ever get in a fight? She starts. <laughs> you, you're in trouble already. <laughs> okay. When you, when, when you get in, in, in a fight, there's no peace. Listen, there is no way in this world. I don't know why God created the home in the way he did, but I can tell you this. When there is discord in a home, it is bad. It hurts. It hurts the, 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 the people. It hurts the children. It hurts the church. Yeah, that's what Peter said. Your prayers are hindered. You see, when there's not peace in that home, it is misery. So what you both do is you try to bring back peace by reconciling to one another. Now, here's what Jesus did. It's an amazing thing. What Jesus did was he said, I'm going to come to earth and I'm going to bring peace between God and the sinner. <laughs> I'm already ready to run. Listen, he said, I'm going to come and I'm going to bring peace between God and the sinner. But I'm going to do it in a very special way. Now look what he said. He said that having made peace through the blood of his cross. Now, let me give you this understanding that peace is a covenant. It's a contract. When we go to war with a, a company, or a, a country, not a company, when we go to war with a country... When we go through the war and we settle the war, we sign a what? A treaty. We sign a treaty with that country. 
that treaty says that we're now at peace. I want you to look what he did. Jesus came, died on the cross, so that he could make peace between God and man. Now, what he did, and the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse number 1. Now, everybody knows that verse, right? Everybody, how many of you ever learned the Romans Road? Okay, all right. So you know this verse. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace. Put in that peace treaty. Having been justified by faith in his blood, I now have a peace treaty with God. I am now at peace with him. We are now at harmony. We are now at harmony. Boy, that is tremendous. You see, repentance is this. We, let, me, let me explain a little bit. What we think repentance is, is that one day you're walking down this road and you decided, I'm going to stop doing this, I'm going to stop doing that, I'm going to stop doing this, and then maybe God will like me. Right? Right? That's what we think. Repentance means I'm going to stop doing this, stop doing this, stop doing this. The truth is, repentance is that I'm going this way, God's my enemy, and I change my mind about who God is, and I realize that He really loves me, and that He cares about me, and I turn, and we think that that is when we quit sinning. The truth is, is that it happened when I saw how much he loved me. Then I turned from my wicked ways, and we connect those two together. But they do happen separately. I turn to God first because I am now at peace with him. So now I am walking in harmony with him, and he is now my Savior. So we have now peace because I have agreed. Now, this is what happens. This is an amazing thing. When you get saved, what God does is he comes in you and he makes peace in your heart with holy God. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I was talking about chocolate nut Sunday, Sunday morning. I like chocolate nut Sunday. I'm going, to tell you, I'm going to tell you, I could stand up here and tell you about sin. I could stand up here and tell you about how good it was to commit a sin. I could tell you how enjoyable it was to commit a sin. I could tell you, I could give you the experience. I could tell you just exactly what it did, how it changed me. Charles Stanley's got the best thing on this. It starts in your imagination, and as you begin to let the, your lust pull you into it, you fulfill the lust of your flesh, and you commit that pleasurable act. It's called sin. It's called disobedience. You can call it whatever you want to call it. You can call it a mistake, whatever you want to call it. It's still sin. And I can tell you all about it, and I love it. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 that, the, that he enjoyed the pleasures of sin for a season because sin is pleasurable. But there was a day in my life 
when sin became horrible. There was a day in my life when I realized that God was holy and that His righteousness was not hard. It was just and it was sweet and it was holy. And I changed my mind about the pleasures of my sin and I turned to holy God and said, Oh, i got to have you in my life. I can't live in this misery any longer. <laughs> That's the peace that came in my life. You see, I don't struggle. Now, I have my strongholds. (coughs) I have my strongholds. But I want to tell you something. I hate sin. I hate sin. Spurgeon said that if you ever repent, there are three things going to happen to you. One is that you you will turn from your wickedness. The second thing is that you will hate sin. You'll have a hatred for sin. And the third thing is that you'll have a sense of love divine. And there's no question about it. If you've never learned to hate sin, if there's not a hatred for sin in your life, boy, I'd, I would struggle. I'd struggle with your salvation. Because the moment he saved me, he gave me a hatred for sin. Do I do it? Yeah, I do it. But because I have this peace with him, I now have a hatred. Let me show you how it happens. Look what he says. He says, now, having made peace through his blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether there be things in earth or things in heaven, that, and you who were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Now, the first thing to understand is that in this source of reconciliation, it is that God works out this system whereby we become peaceful with him. Now, know this, that uh, in marriage, there's one that's always right. Right? Did I get an amen? There's one that's always right, and that's who? Huh? Not me. <laughs> uh, what was I saying? If mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. <laughs> that may be true. The truth is this. In marriage, it's both people. Both people are wrong, and they've got to get right. However, in this relationship... God was not wrong. Now know this, that in this relationship, God never changed one iota. He never broke in any way of his holiness or of his righteousness or his love. He never broke in any way. He stayed the same. We are the ones that are reconciled to him Because what he does is he changes us to where we will be like him rather than him coming to be like us. Now listen to me closely. And I'll get right real, real close to some real deep theology here. If God, if if you have anything to do with salvation, God has to change a little bit. Hang with me now. See, there's a lot of people who think that you have to keep saved. You've got to keep it. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. 
if God in any way ever compromised his holiness to say that you could some way or another get yourself into heaven, he would have to compromise his holiness to let you in. Do you understand that? Now, Baptists are always criticized because we say once saved, always saved. The truth is this. We believe in eternal security only because of one reason. Holy God did the salvation. If he ever weakens and says, I will be reconciled to you, then he has compromised his holiness. When he lets you cooperate in your salvation, he has compromised himself. That's why we cannot ever allow the concept that God would accept your righteousness for your salvation. It is his righteousness and his righteousness alone. So when he died on the cross for you, you could not have anything to do with that because it was his holiness and God was never compromised. Now, if God ever is compromised, that means that he would have to change the system of reconciliation. That's how you know you say forever. Because if you've ever been reconciled to God, he didn't change, he changed you. you God didn't change. He changed you. So what we find here is that this is the the idea of reconciliation is that we are becoming joined together by the blood of Jesus Christ and the thing that issues out of it is this peace treaty that now I have with the Lord. I'm at peace with God. Now, I got to hurry. I got a bunch more to go. The next thing, he talks about the strength of this reconciliation. The first thing he talks about is the state of the unbelievers. He says that we were alienated and enemies. The word alienated simply means that we were estranged from God and that we were hostile to him. You see, before I got saved, I didn't want to have anything to do with God. I heard somebody say the other day that I found God. And I wanted to say... Uh, No, you didn't find God. God found you. You see, you were hostile to God. The Bible tells us in Psalm that we were like sheep gone astray. We We weren't seeking after God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. There's none that seeketh after God. No one's seeking after God. God came to seek And to save that which was lost. So what it is, is that holy God loved you so much while you were hostile and estranged from him. He said, I'm going to seek you when you don't want me. (laughs) I'm going to seek you when you don't want me. Listen, don't ever think, don't ever think, please. As long as I'm your pastor, don't ever think that you can polish up and and impress God. It's not going to happen. You didn't impress him before he saved you. He came after you because he loved you, not because you impressed him. Now, I want to tell you something. Be very careful that you think. Now, listen, I'm a 10 I'm a 10. I want you to say that. Say, I'm a 10. 
No, you say it. I'm a 10. I'm a 10. Listen, I, I promise you, God's impressed with all of us because he loves all of us. But none of us, none of us were worth saving. Not one of us was, was worth saving. Even the man after his own heart said, he picked me out of a horrible pit. So none of us were worth saving. We were hostile and estranged from him. We didn't like him. Have you ever met somebody you didn't like at all? Huh? Somebody you just didn't like. You didn't like their looks. You didn't like the way they smelled. Didn't like the way they dressed. Didn't like the way they ate. Didn't like the way they spoke. You, you ever met somebody like that? Yeah, sure we have. And what do we do? We run from them. <laughs> we run from them. I don't want them in my life. I, I heard, where was it? Maybe don't. We were, oh, at the eye doctor the other day. And there was this woman in there. She was as loud. We, everybody knew her business. She's getting married. <laughs> and she's proud of it. She should be. <laughs> anyway, uh, she, <laughs> she was talking on the phone so loud. Everybody could hear all the stuff she was talking about and getting her wedding dress and all this kind of stuff. And I told Sandra, I said, I wish you'd shut up. She said, she is loud, isn't she? And everybody in the, in the doctor's office could hear her, and it didn't stop. And our, that poor old man that she's going to marry, he may be having second thoughts. He just dropped his head. I want to tell you what. I didn't enjoy that woman. And before he saved me, I didn't enjoy God. Listen, don't be surprised when people do things that you don't understand. Your neighbor may say words that you don't like. They may do behavior that you don't like. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love them. It's just that they are still estranged and hostile toward God. But there's going to come a day. i got to hurry real quick. That's the state of the unbelievers. Look at the source of the hostility. He says that you were in your mind... In your mind, you were had wicked works. What that means is that in your mind, you were actively thinking of being disobedient. Ephesians chapter 2 says that you were children of disobedience. According to the prince and power of the air, you walked in disobedience according to his rule, his authority, and you were hostile toward God. But he has quickened you. Now what that means simply is this. That he changed you so that now you are no longer hostile. And you no longer are creating these evil thoughts in your life. You are now surrendering to him. Because he is bringing about this this performance from an inner state. Look what he said. That yet now hath he reconciled. That is that he has brought me into this, this strength of the reconciliation where I am changed. Now the system of the reconciliation is that he did this bodily in his body, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. The idea here is that in this system of reconciliation, God has worked out a way that you who were hostile, and estranged from him, when you turn to him by faith, 
He changed who you were. He received you as a son, gave you the authority to become a son of God, and you made peace with him, have a treaty with him now. You are at peace with God. And now he is working out this system through something that he did in his system, and that is this, that he died for you bodily so you could have the idea of being filled with the Spirit of God and then he presents you, and the idea is that he presents you, first of all, separate for God and free from world defilement. The second thing he does is that he presents you unblameable. That means without spot. Then he presents you unreprovable. That means, and I'm way out of time, but I got to tell you this one, and I'm going to let you go home. When God saves you, what he does is he gives you, brings you peace with God. You're in this peace treaty. And in order to make it right so that this doesn't look like he swept things under the rug and you're just still an old rank sinner, what he does is he puts you in a new category. Now, if I tell you right now that I'm as righteous as Jesus Christ, that sounds like blasphemy, doesn't it? Right? That if I told you right now I'm as righteous as Jesus Christ, that sounds like blasphemy, doesn't it? But according to this verse, what he did was, the first thing was that he made me unblameable. The idea of unblameable is that he... he, put me in a place that I no longer have any spots. I no longer have any issues. God made this treaty so much that he put me in a category that we call positional category. It is that now in God's sight, there is nothing wrong with me. He said, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Then the next word he uses is the word that says that you are unprovable. That means that I am free from any blame. Now, what is so amazing to me is that I know that there are all kinds of things that I've done wrong in my life. Anybody with me? Okay. And yet, God in His mercy created in this peace treaty this place called positional righteousness where I am totally without any sin and there's no blame associated with it. The Bible says in Psalm 103 that He has removed our sins where? As far as the east is from the west, a point of infinity, no, 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 no place. You can't find where the east begins and the west begins. It's not there. That's where you put our sin. You see, in, in this system, he made me righteous so that there's no spot, there's no blame. And then look at the next word. He says that we are in his sight. Presents us holy, unblameable, and unreprovable. That means that I am without anything that God can see and blame me and put onto my account. 
In other words, he can't impute any righteousness, any sin in my life again. I am totally 100% righteous. Then he says, in his sight. That word sight is an awesome word that means a penetrating gaze. In God's penetrating gaze, he sees nothing in me but the righteousness of his son. When I look in me, I see everything else. I see all my weaknesses. I see all my failures. I see all my heartbreaks. I see everything. I see who I am. I know who I am. And I cannot accept that I am righteous. But I am not worried now about what I am because in His sight, in His sight. Now, Jimmy and I have been fellowshipping now for for a couple months now. We've been going over to, uh, I go to... I get to rub shoulders with the big preachers, and uh, so, and they preach to me. I promise. You. So you know, I'm, but so so he's been with me now. So he's already learning some of my idiosyncrasies, and he knows I got real problems. He knows I got real problems. So in Jimmy's sight, I'm not much. In Jerry's sight. I'm not much, just an old preacher. In Sandra's sight, she lives with me, and she knows. But in God's sight, in God's sight, he sees nothing in me but the righteousness of his son, the reconciler, who made me righteous who brought the peace in my life, now I walk as a child of God in the peace of God with God's peace. I am totally righteous as Jesus Christ in God's sight. Now, who are you trying to impress? (laughs) Who are you trying to impress? I promise you this. I have all kinds of problems, but I know one thing. When I made that commitment to him, as Paul said, I know in whom I have committed. And that he is able to keep that, that I've committed to him against that day. I know that moment at Landis Baptist Church that night, he made me as righteous as his son. And in his sight, that's never changed and it never will change. And when I get to heaven and the doors I was going to the doctor the other day, and I went up, walked up to the doctor's, um, to the building there, and before I ever got there, you know how you got to press those buttons? Before I ever got there, the door opened. I thought, all right. <laughs> Check this out. <laughs> but I stood there for a little bit, every, it opened for everybody. So <laughs> nothing to be impressed about. Listen, when I get to heaven, that door's going to open, swing open wide, and the only thing that'll get me there is but the blood of Jesus Christ that he reconciled me to holy God and made me 100% righteous in his sight.
Let's go home. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for making us righteous. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for coming.